You're listening to episode 50 of the Mad Chatters podcast, September 9th, 2015. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome to a very special 50th episode of the Mad Chatters podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney universe. My name is Derek, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew. Welcome. And Jeremy. And the prince that comes along with it. Alrighty. Uh, (laughs) Guys, 50 episodes. Can you believe it? Can you believe we've been doing this that long? I can yeah, <laughs> it feels like about 150 to Matt. My joints feel it. No, I think it feels like, I can't believe it. It's been almost a year. Can you believe that? I mean, it's just a year ago, we were we were nothing. And now look at us. Well, We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> top of the world. Yeah, something like that. I do. Some people tell me that, oh, I started your podcast from the beginning. I'm like, why? Why did you go yeah. back to episode no, one? You need to start at about 35. <laughs> That's yeah. a good starting place. Jeremy, are you using your country bear mug? Excuse me. Yes, you caught me mid-drink. I am. I Well, I was going to mention this later on, but Go since you it. brought it up now, I treated myself and bought the Country Mare's Country Mare. <laughs> Country Bear uh, souvenir jug, and That's I big. love it. I know. It holds so much. Now, I was, see, the last time I was there, I asked about it, and I was going to get it, but I asked if there were free re- refills, and she said no, and that deterred me. I see. It was like, yeah. Well, when you buy it, you can refill it as many times as you want. That is true. I did not purchase a drink in it because I don't really drink soda anymore. So I just bought the the jug and filled it with water. But how much was it? It's six dollars oh. and some change if it's um, empty. But then if you put a beverage in it, in it it's like nine dollars. Okay. So like I said, I went ahead. You can buy this at Picklesville or you can get it at the cart across the walkway. So let me ask you a question. Let me clarify here because when I asked, I'm confused now. At Pecos Bill, I was going to get that as my drink. And I asked her, do I get free refills with that? And she said, no. Is that not correct? It probably is. I was kidding by saying if you buy it and take it home, you can refill it as many times as you want. Oh, I thought you I thought you were like telling me in the park. I was like, uh, no. No, 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 no. I'm sure she knew what she was talking about. But that doesn't make sense. If you can get free refills in other cups... Yeah, I don't know. Like I That's said, weird. I just went ahead and filled it with ice. I did get the well, I like ice it. cup, and I put water in it. And I did, too. It's totally like I, the people I was with when I bought it, they were like, oh, why are you buying that? That's totally not you. And why I was like, I know. Buy it? I, I think know. I, pretty I think much it's you. Quite... <laughs> <laughs> it's a little redneck, but for Disney fans, I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And it's just fun to drink at home, too. So, well, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your trip? Because I know you were there Monday on Labor Day. Yeah, it was. I just went out for the day, and uh, first off, it was very humid. Uh, it was really a nasty, humid day in mm. Florida. That that kind of humidity where you just stand there and sweat. Mm-hmm. We're doing nothing, so that part was pretty rough. But I was able to get there for rope drop at Magic Kingdom, which I've never been there for rope drop before, and. Um, welcome, welcome. Yeah, yeah, I love that song. <laughs> I play that every time I drive through the gates. Yeah. And then 
I don't know. It's just like I was think, playing it over in my mind and thinking about it afterwards. And I've been a Disney fan, like hardcore Disney fan now for like eight years, seven, eight years. And yet still I found something I hadn't experienced before and it made me emotional. Like I genuinely was welling up because the just the energy there of opening the Magic Kingdom and here comes Mickey and all the characters on the train and they pull up and the excitement. It was just so... Like I said, it was just so magical and so wonderful. So if you've never seen the Rope Drop show, do yourself a favor. Get out of bed a little early and go catch it. You won't be disappointed. But then I went into the Magic Kingdom as it opened. And everybody, of course, kind of spread off. Some to um, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, some to Space Mountain. I went straight to Frontierland, um, which no one was back there. And so I kind of wandered through Frontierland and the Peace and Quiet and into Adventureland and Peace and Quiet. And it was just a really nice experience and not having strollers, not having guests. And you could really hear the music and the ambiance. So it's really nice uh, if you're looking to, like I said, experience Disney, maybe on on a level you're not able to experience it Hmm. often. But it had a good day. It was a good day at the parks. A lot of people were asking me if it was crowded. It was not. It was full, but not like ridiculous what I would expect for Labor Day. I think this is kind of the official end of summer, isn't it? Labor Day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I kind of expected it still, though, to be full. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's still considered summer, so I kind of expected it to be pretty crowded. Yeah, the walls around the castle uh, stage are hideously ugly yeah which i was really upset because i've got a couple pictures in front of it since we're going to be in california next week and i wanted to do some fun like side by side but the wall the construction walls they didn't ruin it but they're there you know what i mean and it's hard to ignore now what are they actually doing i peeked over because they're not high like they're only to like chest level okay which is weird because they're still doing the castle stage show even With though the walls up? Yes. And there's like seriously like twenty feet between the the stage and like where the wall is. So it's so awkward. That is like, so strange. It's very weird. But I so you can peek over the wall and look. I should have taken a picture. But it, all it is, it looks like to me they're just like redoing the concrete. Like it doesn't look like they're adding anything okay. or doing anything different. It just kind of they've chiseled it up and they're repouring it. So now is the hub pretty much done or are they still doing work on that? Yeah, this looks like the final completion of that because uh, all the walls around the partner's statue and, and that area are all completely gone. That's all open. They did have, which I don't know what's in there, two like tents set up um, between the partner statue and the castle uh, stage. And it looked to me like some kind of, I don't know what it could be because they're not big enough for like more than maybe four people to sit in this little tent. Mm-hmm. So it didn't look like special parade viewing to me, but they, and they never opened it up. So I don't know if there's, I don't know what's in it, but it was weird. I wonder if it's Halloween stuff, maybe? Maybe yeah. some of the Halloween decorations are, are up on Main Street. Um, and so you can tell that time of year is here. The rest of the park, no, just on Main Street okay. um, and down to the castle. But yeah, the, so the construction walls around the castle ruin it a little bit when you're up close, but you know. I saw two weeks ago, or maybe just last week, that the Rose Garden is now officially gone and it has become a, a, like a bypass pathway kind of between the Tomorrowland Bridge and the Fantasyland Bridge. So that's something that will be kind of a kind of jarring to see, I think, on the first time because that Rose Garden's been there as long as I can remember. So. Yeah, I don't remember specifically that. 
Well, I mean, like, it not... was like, it had like the archway over by the Tomorrowland Bridge, and it said like the little plaza rose garden. It had, it had a okay. sign it that said it. Okay, had the area there. It was like a picture spot exactly. for the castle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is gone now. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really, now that you say that, I, I kind of see it in my mind. Huh, interesting. Yep, it's now a pathway. Wow. Um, something that I didn't quite figure out, and it happened several times throughout the day, is I kept seeing Haunted Mansion cast members in Frontierland on numerous occasions. Like, we, the first time we passed them, I, I even made a joke about it. I was like, ah, 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 you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing? You know, kind of a thing. And then throughout the day, every time we were in Frontierland, there would be three or four Haunted Mansion cast members, like maids, you know, and butlers, like clearly Haunted Mansion. And they would be passing through Frontierland for whatever reason. So hmm. they can cross pollinate I, over there a little bit. I guess so, but it was just strange, like to see it consistently. Yeah, I was like, "Are you all like shorthanded in Frontierland today, and you need help, um, or what?" But <laughs> could you just call them over from another ride. Just don't worry <laughs> about changing or anything. <laughs> yeah, this was also the first time I'd been in the Peter Pan queue. I hadn't been in there yet to see all those new effects in person, and they're nice. I mean, nothing to write home about. The only thing that makes that queue better is that it's now inside and has AC, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which you know is a big improvement from the queue from hell mm-hmm. but that used to be there. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, yeah, a good day at Magic Kingdom overall. Good. I'm glad. Uh, well, we kind of touched on a few things already, but we haven't talked about some news at the parks in a while. So I want to do that. Um, and there are a few news items I specifically want to get your opinions on. And the first is actually over at Disneyland. Now, Disney World is getting the Skipper Canteen soon. And almost in response to that, Disneyland is getting the Jungle Cruise Sunrise Safari Breakfast. Now, it's only going to last six weeks, and you can pay $300 to ride the Jungle Cruise before... The park opens, and on it you'll get breakfast, including pastries, fruit, pork belly, bacon, sausage, potatoes, and then juices and coffee and stuff. And then you get like special skipper tips, and you even get to like practice being a jungle cruise skipper. Not really sure what that means. And then as a keepsake, you get a special tribal mask. So I want to know your thoughts on this. Maybe That's- payment aside, would you ever do that? Something like that? Well, payment aside, yes, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that big of a payment aside. I might think, like, $60 right, for something right. like that. Yeah, $300. $300. I mean, what kind of a mask are you giving me? That's like, what I was about to say. It, may, it better have been molded in Africa by some tribal chief children. or something. <laughs> or some children. sweatshop over there in yeah. Africa. No, no it's I just... made in China is what it is. They're, they're just getting a little more uh, out of it than they need. I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, eating on the boat does not appeal to me at all because that just sounds like a mess. Like, is, there's not going <laughs> to yeah, be tables. True. There's no table. It's going to be like it's gonna be like awkward receptions where you got to, like, hold your plate in your hand. <laughs> and all the I, juices are sitting there just, like, spilling all over the yeah. console. I'm thinking go, to, go at Rope Drop, put a couple of granola bars in your pocket, and ride Jungle Cruise first thing, and it's the same experience, minus oh, the, the mask. And the special tips. The, the oh, oh, here's here's what I'm thinking could make it better, and this is me. If you had, like, maybe you ride the boat and you get off the boat in one of the scenes of the Jungle Cruise, and there's a table set up there, 
and so you're eating in the attraction that would be kind of fun not $300 fun but that would <laughs> right. be something better than just maybe it is and then do you only get to go around one time because Jungle Cruise is not like <laughs> hurry eat eat shove it down <laughs> yeah I mean uh, I mean seriously it's like what maybe a, just a, a five minute attraction so yeah. I gotta wolf down my pastries in that I, time I don't know I also I don't, don't know. understand the pork belly bacon yeah. yeah, that's kind of random for like... Bacon just... is pork belly. What do they try to make it sound fancier than it is, I think? Oh, maybe so, yeah. It says glazed pork belly bacon. Because we'll read All bacon is pork belly, not all pork belly is bacon. They're trying to justify the price tag, I think. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Make it sound fancy. People will yeah, pay. Yeah. Uh, what's the, but the menu, read the menu again. Okay, so pastries, okay. fruit, glazed pork belly bacon, sausage... Roasted potato and onion hash, plus juices, coffee, and tea. That's just a random breakfast. It's a continental menu. breakfast. There's mm-hmm. nothing like cohesive about that at all. Like, no. if you're gonna do bacon and sausage, then they need to have like eggs and you know. Well, they won't do eggs because of allergies, and they're taking the easy way out there instead of offering options. Or they need like alligator steak or something Jungle Cruise related, you know, <laughs> or like um, elephant sausage <laughs> as we record or maybe not as we record this episode i'm preparing to go alligator hunting in t minus three hours so if i'm not alive for the next recording you know <laughs> that's like a real thing it's a real thing wow that's hardcore yeah. he told me he was going to do this uh a while back and i Come was on. like what like official welcome to central florida yeah i guess so. i just can't picture matt out there in the middle of the swamp trying to hunt an alligator but well i hope there's video stay tuned next week we'll have to talk about that if i sure. catch one we'll have some alligator steak and we'll go out by the boat or something and pretend like it's a jungle cruise we charge people three hundred dollars there, there, there you go well speaking of very costly ticketed events well disney world is introducing one too and it's called fairy tale wishes and not spelled like regular fairy tale but f-e-r-r-y tale wishes a fireworks dessert cruise and what happens is you're going to pay 99 dollars per person significantly less than you'd pay for the jungle cruise breakfast and you're going to board the ferry at the ticket and transportation center one hour prior to wishes and then you'll kind of sail out onto the seven seas lagoon and have an assortment of desserts uh, cheeses and fruit, and you'll have non-alcoholic and alcoholic beverages, all while watching Wishes from the ferry. Now, what are your thoughts on this one? They seem to be doing these dessert parties for whatever reason. This seems to be a trend, but they just don't appeal to me because that's a lot of money for like just little finger foods, and really, that's all it is. There's not much substance to these. Second, well, the money is not just for the food, to be fair. There is alcohol involved. And if that's your kind of thing, you pay $99 for an open bar. And I don't know if that means complete open bar or just like wine and probably like dessert wines. That's probably all they're doing. Yeah. Probably so. But still, that's a draw for, you know. Well, that is true. But then here begs the question what ferry are you going to be on? Are you going to be on the Admiral Joe Fowler out there? Because there's no bathroom. And if you're going to have people drinking on a boat for at least an hour and a half, People are going to need to use the bathroom. Maybe there is a bathroom. We just don't have access to it. I mean, surely, surely the guy who drives the ferry needs to use it sometimes, right? 
I never well, thought about that before. He's not out to sea for two weeks at a time. He just, but still, I'm sure people just have using, emergencies. It's not deadliest catch. I mean, he's, he's just going back and forth across I'm the I'm sure they're just June. using one of those ferry boats. My other question would be, is it? I guess it's going to pull out in the lagoon and park somewhere, kind of probably stay stationary. Probably, and I wonder how many people get to go on one, because I, I was about to say, it's kind of your pro own private viewing of Wishes, but not if they allow 200 people to board. Yeah, no, you know? they, I'm sure they'll pipe and Everybody's going to be on one side. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. They do pipe the music in, which is something. But, yeah. And also, if this is one of the main ferries they use, isn't that kind of a prime time for the ferries to be needed, like right when Wishes is over? Well, yeah, but they have a, they have several of them. That they'll probably take them back and unload and time the other one to be picking up at the Magic Kingdom okay. while that one's there. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, this one's much more uh, reasonable to me. $100 to have a cruise on a thing with some fancy desserts and alcohol and non-alcoholic things. That's a, that's a little bit of a plus, and it's a little bit more of an experience than riding the Jungle Cruise early in the morning with food. Great, so you can do it next week and then come back and review it on the show. Yeah, is that like work workers comp? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just turn in your receipts with uh, Susie at uh, yeah. Human Sort Resources and uh, show. Yeah, yeah, or yet another Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> yeah. how interested are you in the Fairy Tale Wishes dessert cruise? Personally, this is not something that appeals to me. I mean, I would do it. Like, if you all wanted to do it, I would do it as like a thing. But... I can think of better ways to spend a hundred dollars at. Yes, you'll get a fancy dinner. Yeah, for real. Watch wishes from there at Grand Floridian or something. I agree. Um, there were a couple uh, app-related news items that came out that I want to talk about. One was um, this Disney Parks shops. No, Shop Disney Parks app. Which, if you're looking for something specific while you're at the park, you can search for it, and it'll tell you all the locations where it's available. And it also lets you purchase a lot of parks-only items through the app, even from home, unless it lets you have it shipped to you. So I thought that was at least something. I mean, I don't know if I'll use it a whole lot, but it's, it's something I know is there and can be dependable. So uh, The other thing was, this, is, this just makes so much sense to me. The My Disney Experience app, which is the, the thing that they introduced years ago when they first started this whole Magic Band thing, it's added PhotoPass capabilities now, so you can link your PhotoPass to the app, and if you're using like Memory Maker or anything like that, you can download the photos directly to your phone from the app, and that way you can like share them instantly, you know, through social media, just straight through the app. I don't know why they haven't been doing that this whole time. That just makes sense to me. Absolutely, because part of if we live in a world where it didn't happen unless you can put it on social media, <laughs> right, so right. I have to do it in the moment. In the moment is is the key because it's like, hey, here's that picture I finally got, even though it was taken a week ago. In mm. fact, they should link your your Magic Band to your Facebook profile, and that way, as soon as the picture is taken on the ride, it automatically links it. Mm. There you go. 2016. Wait for that. Yeah. yeah. Where's my billion dollar expansion, Walt Disney World? I just gave you that idea. <laughs> Well, that's about the only news I had, other than the fact that you know Halloween's starting to pop up and Frozen Summer Fun has officially ended, and it's just kind of transitioning seasons over there. I do want to make one more announcement because this podcast comes out. What's today? It'll be Wednesday, September ninth. 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 So on the fourteenth, is that when the this Walt uh, special is going to be on PBS? Yes. Good call. We want to remind our 
listeners that this coming Monday, which is the 14th, and on Tuesday the 15th, on your local PBS station, they will be showing from the series The American Experience, which I think they did one on Henry Ford previously, but Hmm. this time they're doing it on Walt Disney. And uh, people have raved about this series. It's very well done. It's very professional and nice. And it will just be basically uh, a great documentary about Walt's life, a two-night thing. Actually, I read they were originally going to do it in two hours. And then they expanded it to four hours because they realized that Walt's life is just so – there's so much there to to talk about. Um, So this is a great thing because one of my pet peeves is how I meet people that think Walt Disney is just a brand and they – kind of forget or don't recognize that there really was a man Walt Disney that you know put all this together and started this all so this is a great thing to bring the family together and and educate yourself a little bit about the things that you you love so check that out your local PBS station September 14th and 15th I'm really looking forward to it I hope it's well done well since it is our special 50th episode I think it's only fitting that we have a special giveaway a mad chatter giveaway and Jeremy and I are going to Disneyland next week and as we've talked about a billion times on this show it is a special 60th anniversary so while while we are there we're gonna pick up something that says 60th I don't know what it's gonna be it might be some navy ears or some sort of diamond encrusted something something but it's going to be really special and it's going to be a keepsake because it says 60th on it. And we're going to give that to one of our listeners. So if you are interested, email comments at madchatters.net and put something like uh, 60th sweepstakes or 50th show or something in the in the subject so we know that that's what you're looking for. And we will randomly draw. And once we get back, we will send that to one of our very special listeners as a thank you for the many weeks you have tuned in. Since it is a Disneyland 60th anniversary item that we're giving away, how about we give our listeners up until our 60th show to enter, and then we give it away on our 60th show. So I like that idea. So you have 10 weeks now to contact us, comments at madchatters.net, and someone will win that prize. Well, since you have 10 weeks, we're going to have to make it really special now. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, well, we'll remind you throughout the week. There you go. As well. There you so, go. Maybe not every week, but here and there. But we want to give everybody a chance, and, you know, I think it'll be nice. Something nice. Yeah. Happy 50th to us. And we'll even sign it. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> we won't ruin your nice merchandise. Tonight's top 10 list was inspired by something I saw on the news, and maybe you saw it as well, and that is uh, the street artist Banksy, who is known for being anonymous and doing graffiti all over the world. He opened a new art exhibit, I guess you could say, and it's a parody or a commentary or however you want to describe it on Disney, and it's called Dismal Land. 
And if you haven't seen this yet, you should Google it and look at it. It's kind of trippy. It's basically like um, a Disney theme park that has been like bombed. Like it's really sad looking and depressed and weird. Anyways, it just got me thinking like I wonder if there's somebody – and you know there has to be somebody in the world who went there really thinking it was a Disney park. Like they walked in and they're like, oh, we got a new Disneyland here in England. It was in London or something. And they walked in and were sadly disappointed. And I only say that because you all remember when the Wizarding World of Harry Potter first opened and there were buses at Animal Kingdom that were taking people to the Wizarding World because people were showing up at Animal Kingdom thinking it was there. So clearly the general public has a few uh, lackeys here and there. So – Tonight's top 10, top 10 signs you're at a knockoff Disney park. Number 10, World Showcase is just a food court featuring exotic foods like Taco Bell, Sabaro Pizza, Panda Express, and Panera Bread. Number 9, a popular attraction is Journey into Unimaginable Debt, starring the Dream Crusher and Payment. Sponsored by Sally Mae. Guests board a tram as recent college grads who try to find a job while a massive ball of debt chases them, Indiana Jones style. Number 8. Tomorrowland, which hasn't changed since 2001, is just a room of computers that allow you to create your own MySpace page. Number 7. The Princess Meet and Greet Hall closes promptly every day at 4 p.m. because the princesses have to get to their other job as contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race. Number six. The only table service restaurant is overrun by rats. But instead of calling an exterminator, the waiters just point and yell, Would you like to meet the chef? Number five. The Dole Whip is just Sunny D poured over Sam's Choice ice cream. Number four. The Pirates of Somalia. Ooh, an indoor boat ride in which riders are blindfolded and held captive by an onboard animatronic pirate who yells profanity throughout and uses insulting nicknames when referring to the guests. At the end, all the valuables are confiscated and the guests exit to the street level via the sewer system. And or they're saved by Captain Phillips. Number three. At the Hall of Almost Presidents, guests can watch a 30-minute presentation dedicated to beloved presidential candidates who lost the election. Marvel at audio animatronics like Rufus King, John C. Fremont, and Stephen Douglas, and hear moving speeches from Al Gore and Mitt Romney. Number two. The real Jungle Cruise features a boat ride through dense tropical foliage made authentic with real swarms of mosquitoes and the threat of disease. Boats are heated, then suddenly cooled to give that authentic fever experience. Refreshments are provided, including punch laced with Miralax to ensure that real jungle experience lasts all day long. Riders must be free of neck and back issues and must be up to date on all vaccines. Malaria meds are mailed with your vacation package, so the whole family will be ready for this adventure. Uh, Correction, if you would like the punch, it's an extra $300. And the number one sign that you are at a knockoff Disney park. 
The safari ride is a trip around an open pasture in an old church van with no windows. The grand finale is a zebra encounter, but they're just mules painted with black and white stripes. One of our favorite recurring segments on this podcast is called Countdown to Park Extinction, and that's where we go back in time and we focus on a specific year at one of the Disney parks and kind of give a virtual tour saying what you might have seen in that park if you'd been there that year. Now, when we did Disneyland opening day in 1955 and Magic Kingdom's opening day in 1971, you might have noticed a glaring omission, and that is none of the mountains were in either of those parks when they first opened. And then, of course, we're talking about Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and Splash Mountain. So on this episode, we're going to talk about those mountains and give a little bit of history, maybe some general trivia, and kind of talk about uh, why they're there and how far they've come. So I think first we should talk about the mountain that came first. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Matthew. Before we begin any discussion of any Magic Kingdom mountain, the Disney-style mountain-type attraction we must mention the very first mountain attraction at any Disney theme park, which of course was the Matterhorn Bobsleds at Disneyland, opened in 1959. Mm. And it really paved the way not only for Magic Kingdom mountains, but roller coasters everywhere because it was the first tubular steel roller coaster. Um, I would say of its kind, but I think just period. The first right. to use tubular steel rails, which became the norm for all steel roller coasters from then on out. So we fast forward to 1964, and Walt wanted a new, uh, I don't know if he would have used the word hipper, but <laughs> a hipper attraction to attract teenagers and uh, young people to the park, uh, especially to Tomorrowland, which was in some serious need of um, some help. So work began I guess it wed on an attraction called Spaceport which was to be an indoor um, dark roller coaster with lighting effects and such and he actually had John Hinch um, one of the background painters and Imagineers to work on it with him um, as the primary designer but it didn't go through in 1964 it got the red light and uh, of course Walt died in 66 and so it was put on kind of a t um, permanent hold until it was revived by Imagineers for Walt Disney World in the early 70s. And in 1974, construction officially began on Space Mountain at Walt Disney World's Tomorrowland, and it opened on January 15, 1975. It was the official opening of the Space Mountain attraction, and the first one was at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Uh, not until 77 would Disneyland get theirs, and then Tokyo, Paris, and Hong Kong all received theirs when their park opened. When Space Mountain opened in uh, Walt Disney World in Florida, uh, it was a big to-do. Guest of honor was Colonel James Irwin. He was the pilot of the lunar module on Apollo 15, and uh, he gave it what they call an enthusiastic thumbs up. <laughs> so yeah, there's also there's also talk about how Disney worked with. I mean, this is like rumor. It has to be because it's like 
Okay. <laughs> Disney worked with, you know, NASA specialists to make it an authentic space flight experience. And I was like, well, you know, that sounds good and all. <laughs> I don't know what about it would be authentic space flight, <laughs> except that it's dark and there are stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing some, like, executive from NASA showing up and be like, well, you put a couple of stars on that roof and uh, yep. turn out the lights. Genius! Yes! Genius. They <laughs> well... Well, that was kind of just after the height of the space age, so I guess even the fact that, that that guy showed up for the opening, like, that's a big deal. When it was originally being planned and um, in the early 60s for Disneyland as spaceport, you know, it was in the middle of the, the space age exactly. before we had even landed on the moon. So, uh, but certainly still existing there in 75 was the hype of space, and Tomorrowland uh, at, at Magic Kingdom was getting a little bit of a revamp with that. Um... If you can't tell the theme of Space Mountain, to quote myself from our first trip to Disney World, in which Jeremy asked the question, what is the theme of Space Mountain? And I said, well, there's space and there's a mountain. <laughs> and that pretty much sums it up. Why the mountain got thrown in there, I don't know. But uh, from the outside... Why that story got thrown in there, I have no idea why either. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> there's really no backstory for this attraction? No, just... It started out as Spaceport, and the name got changed to Space Mountain. Wow. I feel like Disney goes above and beyond with their backstories almost too much. Well, I mean, you know, there's a there's a you know, obvious continual theme throughout in which you are at this starport taking off, blasting through space at high speeds, and then you land. And, you know, the thing that we uh, – I don't want to get ahead of myself here, so let me back up. The only thing really mountainous about it is the actual structure itself. And if you've ever seen any pictures of Disney World or Magic Kingdom, uh, you can find one Easter egg at the end of a Golden Girls episode um, in which Sophia and Dorothy are supposedly riding. And so it's just an external shot of Space Mountain with them screaming. <laughs> you know, classic 80s. Uh, no, they also uh, show in that episode, style. though, after they show that, they do show like the. Um the tunnel with the lights. Oh, that's true. The blue the tunnel. front. The yeah. entrance tunnel. Yes, you're right. But they never actually show the character on the yeah. ride. No. They weren't anywhere near it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, it is one of the most intimidating structures at the Magic Kingdom. And as, you know, a four, five, six, and seven-year-old, uh, before I wrote it for the first time when I was seven, it is very terrifying to turn the corner of the monorail and see Space Mountain. Because everything else, you know, it's the castle and everything looks so friendly and happy. And then there's just that sterile, white, pointy building that just looks like it will hurt you. And <laughs> that's Space Mountain. It's an indoor attraction. Like I said, you go under the, the two. There's two tracks inside of that big dome, the big white dome that you see. And it's completely in the dark with projected star effects on the ceiling like a planetarium except a lot more movement. And um, here's some specs on Space Mountain. Just to, The ride duration is 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Um, the length of the track is 3,186 feet. And I think one track is actually slightly longer. Yeah, because it has to... It has to go uh, – because um, they both kind of exit at the same place, so it has yeah. to cross over to the exit. It's like yeah, five okay. feet longer. I see. Um, the track height, the maximum height you are, I guess, just off the ground period is 65 feet, which is just about 13 feet higher than the drop on Splash Mountain, so not incredibly tall. The maximum speed – you guys might know this. Guess the maximum speed for Space Mountain. 35 50. miles an hour. Oh. 
Yeah, the official number is 30, but it can be, be anywhere from 28 to 35, I guess, depending on the weight in huh. the vehicle. And you have to be 44 inches in order to ride. Um, Space Mountain was the first completely computerized track system for any roller coaster. That means all the break points, the checkpoints, the stopping points, all that's completely managed by computers. And obviously another first for Disney in paving the way into um, uh, the theme park industry because all roller coasters and really all rides completely rely on computers mm. for, for that kind of thing now. Um, Space Mountain at Walt Disney World remained uh, largely the same until uh, a car change in the late 80s. And from what I was reading, I, I got mixed reports. It sounded like there were four cars hinged together with two seats apiece, but still in that bobsled style. That I don't. That's I was reading multiple huh. reports, and I couldn't really put together what I was reading. It's like sausage links, <laughs> like all strung together. <laughs> Very much so. Well, now there's only two, and it's what we're all used to. It's the, the two cars, um, and every everybody's in line, like a bobsled style. It's what we'll call it. It's an inline style. Nobody sits side by side at the Magic Kingdom version at Walt Disney World. So you have one, two, three. That's one car hinged to another car. One, two, three, and you're all in one single line. And um, one of the things I like about it is the seats that make you kind of feel like you're hanging out just a little bit, just enough to make it a little uh, a little frightening. Mm -hmm. The only major refurb for this attraction, except for the you know maintenance and things that happened every once in a while, was in 2009. And really it was closed almost all year while they revamped parts of the track, uh, updated the computer systems for it. And something that was not welcomed by me was the total enclosure of the queue area did you did we ever go before this happened yeah yeah so I you remember being change. in the queue and being yeah, able but, to see up yeah the track now yeah. i know it probably made it darker up in the actual ride but there was something about you know being when you're little and you're scared about riding it <laughs> or you're with people that are first timers to look up and see it and although they're only going 30 miles an hour and are only like 60 feet up in the air it looks so high and the glow-in-the-dark cars look like they're going so fast it kind of added noise. a little bit of the yeah. noise factor as well. Was it added there. a little bit of excitement, you know, to the whole waiting process. So I don't like the fact that it's closed in, even if it didn't make the actual ride. I dark. will agree with you because it did feel bigger to me when you're standing there, and because, like you said, it's dark, so you don't actually know how high up it goes. But you hear the screams, you hear the cars. But I do like that it is darker in the attraction now as well. Yeah. There are lots of little uh, Easter eggs hidden in Space Mountain, especially now that uh, since that refurb in 2009, the whole the whole idea of Starport 75 was invented, which is obviously a, a nod to the opening year of Space Mountain at the Magic Kingdom in 1975. There's also in the closing show or the post show as you're taking the little moving sidewalk out, there are four or five little diorama type scenes that have been there since the 80s but have received lots of refurbs, and the most recent one included uh, MK1 Tomorrowland Station, which was obviously a nod to the Magic Kingdom, and what apparently was supposed to be a Tomorrowland train station, uh, which is where the current Starcade building is oh. over there next to uh, the exit to Tomorrowland. Huh. And throughout the post-show, something I never thought of before, but before doing some of this research, are several... Um, I think nod is my word of the day. Several nods to the Horizons attraction at Epcot with the whole idea of spaceports and future ports. And there's an underwater diorama scene. There's a scene where there's a robot waiter holding drinks. And all that's kind of reminiscent of um, 
the Horizons attraction from old Future oh, World. Oh, never knew that. Yeah. Huh. So that's Space Mountain, the first of the Magic Kingdom Disney World mountains. It's so funny to me that it was built first because if you just went to the park and looked at the three mountains, I mean, I know this is the point because Big Thunder is themed to like 1800s, you know? Yeah. And Splash Mountain just looks like old country. And so you just feel like Space Mountain has to be the newest one there. And it's They've not, done their job well. I guess so. The only complaint I ever have about Space Mountain is the outside lighting. When they when they do the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party lighting on it and it's cha- it has some color to it, I like that. And I don't know why it's not like that all the time. It, it kind of maybe it's supposed to stand out from the rest of New Tomorrowland that's been there since 1994. But it's so just stark white, you know, and unappealing at nighttime when it could have some nice lighting effects to it, I think. It's also amazing to me how different the Disney World and Disneyland versions are. I mean, I guess, let's see, the Disney World one opened four years after park opening, whereas mm-hmm. the Disneyland one, you said 1979 or 7? 7? 77. Okay. 22 years. 22 years after that park's opening. But not just the seats. Like, and you said it's two cars each with three seats, whereas Disneyland is one car with three rows of two. But that's yeah. not the main difference. Like, it feels like a completely different attraction, whereas you go up a couple of lifts and then just kind of gravity takes you all the way back down. Whereas Space Mountain is more of a thrill and like up and down and sharp left and sharp right and you don't know what's gonna happen. I was very taken aback at how different they were. I've only ridden the Matterhorn once and it was 20, uh, 20 years ago. And um, it's very much like Space Mountain. In fact, this, the same people that they had designed the Matterhorn ride system and track layout were the people they were going to get to design this uh, spaceport roller coaster in 64 which turned into Space Mountain at Walt Disney World. Uh-huh. So it makes sense that they're kind of the same. I mean, just looking at the cars, they look similar. They're yeah. the bobsled type inline coaster with the, the steel. But yeah, you're right. The Disneyland Space Mountain, I've always wanted to ride it just because it's got that little difference of two people sitting next to each other. Well, maybe that's why they made it different because they already had Matterhorn and it was I'm sure that was similar. That's, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. What Disney animated film can you find Space Mountain in? Meet the Robinsons. Yes. Yeah, good and job. And most recently Robinsons. in Tomorrowland, the live action film. That yep. is true. Yeah. That is true. So. Well, that brings us to the next mountain that was built at Magic Kingdom, and that is Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which officially opened in 1979 at Disneyland, but on September 23rd, 1980 in Walt Disney World. Uh, now, the backstory for this tr- attraction kind of goes back and forth between the two different coasts, um, but I'm going to start in Walt Disney World. Now, we've talked about the fact that Walt Disney World, when it was built, did not have Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, what what was being planned for this park instead was something Mark Davis had thought of, and this was going to be Thunder Mesa in Frontierland, and it was going to be a whole area, almost like a pavilion, if you will. And the main attraction at this pavilion was going to be Western River Expedition, which is kind of a legendary non, a legendary attraction that never happened among Disney fans. And it was going to be a boat ride, kind of Walt Disney World's answer to Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland. And the other attraction in this area was going to be a runaway mine train. And Mark Davis kind of handed this over to the Imagineer Tony Baxter to take care of. And this area would also have pack mules and like a hiking area. And of course, uh, Thunder Mesa Mountain would be the the main icon of this area. 
Um, but Western River Expedition was was really well thought out and planned. It was going to be a boat ride like Pirates, and you would it would be themed to the western expansion of the U.S., so like west of the Mississippi back in the 1800s. And you would start indoors like you do Pirates, and you would climb a waterfall, and then you'd pass by several scenes like a buffalo and prairie dogs, and then it would start to get more intense because you'd pass the dry or the town Dry Gulch and you'd witness a musical show and there was going to be a bank robbery and a prison escape and then you'd see a shootout and a saloon and an Indian rain dance like it was just very very elaborate with all these animatronics and then at the end just before you know you were robbed quote unquote by these bandits you would escape down a waterfall drop now there are several reasons this never panned out first of all it was expensive. It was going to be one of the most complex and expensive attractions ever built. So that kind of put a stop to it. Another thing was the fact that pirates ended up coming anyway. Guests, we've talked about this before, but guests kind of showed up and said, why is there no Pirates of the Caribbean? Because it had been beloved over at Disneyland for several years now, and people in Florida wanted to see it too, even though the Imagineers assumed that living so close to the Caribbean, they would not want anything like that. Uh, so they begged for pirates. That was another reason it didn't happen, because once they got Pirates of the Caribbean, why would you want an attraction that was very, very similar to it? Um, and the third reason was actually something Matt was talking about, was this: the introduction of Space Mountain and some more Tomorrowland changes cost a lot of money, and so it kind of put things like Western River Expedition on the back burner. Not to mention, that sounds long. Like There were that's, lots <laughs> of scenes, yeah. Yeah, like, you'd be like, that's a whole day's worth of one attraction. Matt, have you, did you hear about this growing up? Because I feel like, like I said, I feel like it's like a legend among people who follow the Disney parks. You mean the Western River Expedition? Yeah. No. Oh. I mean, not until, you know, I got into Disney, like. Okay, okay. Like late 90s, and I was really into backstories and history and Imagineering and stuff. And then, of course, you, you find out stuff about it. Yeah, now this is apparently is brought up at Imagineer meetings all the time still. Like, I think we could bring back that idea. I think there's a place for it. And every time, obviously, it's it's shot down. Yep. But who knows? Maybe one day we will get the Western One day, expedition. back there in the, uh, the, the, the woods behind Tom Sawyer Island is just begging for something. Hey, there you go. So, like I said, Disney World did not get the Western River Expedition. It got Pirates of the Caribbean, which kind of put everything on hold. Well, meanwhile, over at Disneyland, we mentioned that the park opened with the pack mules. Well, shortly after that, in 1960, they opened, no, a little, I think 1959, they opened the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train. Now, this was almost like a railroad. It moved very slowly, and you went through what was called the Rainbow Caverns, which was like a cave, and it had special lights, colored lights, and special geysers with the lights in the water to where it looked like rainbows, obviously, um, due to the name. And uh, it was so weird that they named it that and it had those colored lights. Um, Anyway, so in 1960, they decided to expand this attraction and it became the mine train through nature's wonderland. So instead of just going through rainbow rainbow caverns, that was a very small section of this much larger ride. And the ride was kind of like a jungle cruise train in the sense that there was a narrator who who drove the mine train and he would say, you know, howdy folks, hop aboard and keep your arms and legs, kind of what you hear on the uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad today. And you would just pass various scenes. You would and it was pa- the same guy. Right, the same, the same voice. Yeah. So uh, Matthew's favorite word, nod. It, so the voice you hear today is definitely a nod to that old nod. mine train through nature's wonderland. 
He uh, he just died a couple years ago, by the way. I oh, forget his same. name. But, yeah. Huh. Well, um, you would board at the at the fake town of Rainbow Ridge, and then your train would travel through Bear Country and Beaver Valley, the Living Desert, and then you'd end up in Rainbow Caverns, which, like I said, was still there. Um, and you'd see some waterfalls, and the animals would be animatronic, and there were balancing rocks, kind of like you see at the beginning of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad today, where they look like they're going to fall. Are they going to fall? Are they going to fall? And um, so that was open in 1960, and that was open for several years. Um, but when it kind of started showing signs of age in the 70s, and pe- fewer and fewer people were riding it, they decided they kind of needed a thrill ride. So that's where we go back to Thunder Mesa and the other e-ticket attraction that was being planned was a runaway mine train, which Tony Baxter had been put in charge of. And Disneyland saw these models and said, maybe that should be the replacement for this mine train through Nature's Wonderland. So they went ahead and went through with the plans. Mine train closed in 1977. And in 1979, the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad opened in Disneyland. Um, Now, some facts about the attraction itself. Tony, um, he imagined that the tracks would look like they were added to a mountain that already existed. And they said a lot of attractions at this time was the other way around. I guess there was the train and then people had built a mountain around it, which doesn't really make sense to me because you don't really build mountains. Uh, But anyway, so to keep up with that runaway theme, he wanted the cars to like shake and rattle as if you were, you know, running away really quickly from someone. And it was kind of a rough mountain. And which is funny because I remember a few years ago when they redid the track at Disney World, they really cleaned up a lot of those turns. And I had heard an interview with him where he kind of complained about that, saying, Now you don't even feel the slightest jolt. And that was kind of the point from the beginning was to feel like you were being kind of tossed around because it was a quick People chase. People don't have a tolerance for that anymore. It's true. Yeah. Like wooden roller coasters, nobody likes them anymore. They're, shut, I mean, they're shutting down wooden roller coasters everywhere. Probably because you need a chiropractor as soon as you get off. Well, uh, it's true. There's a certain amount of pain involved. But Big Thunder <laughs> Mountain was never fast enough to give you that kind of pain. No, I just people don't like rough, noisy stuff like that on yeah. rides anymore. I will say it is super smooth now. Back in my day, if you didn't have a spinal fracture at the end of your Six Flags <laughs> visit, you weren't having fun. You roll out of there in the ambulance. Uh, well, there you go. So if you do feel a shake and a rattle, just know it's all part of the theme. Joe Rody would tell you that as well. Um, now, unlike Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad does have an elaborate backstory. Okay, so this whole town used to be a former, it was a former gold mining town. And this train was one of the mine trains that was used. Uh, now, the mountain, Big Thunder, or Rainbow Ridge, I heard both names. Uh, or No, hold on. That's the name of the town in Disneyland was Rainbow Ridge or Big Thunder. I saw both of those, those names. I'm not sure which one was right. Uh, but anyway, it was built on an old Native American burial grounds. So a Native American spirit, the Thunderbird, guarded over the mountain. And whenever miners invaded the mountain and robbed it of its wealth, the Thunderbird would clap its wings, causing the earth to quake and the mines to cave in. And that's what you see on that last hill as it looks like everything's about to cave in. That's the earthquake finale of the Disneyland version. Well, and Disney World too, but um, so it wasn't long before these mine trains were found leaving the stations without anyone at the controls because, you know, all the spirits and ghosts on this mountain. And so they were just going around the mountain all of their own accord. 
And so uh, finally convinced that the mountain was cursed, the mining company closed down its operations and the town of Big Thunder became one of many Western ghost towns. Um, Now it's kind of cool at Disneyland because they kept a lot of nods to actually a lot of actual set pieces from the mine train through nature's wonderland. So when you first enter the, the lift, you see the rainbow cavern still. Um, you still back in Big Thunder Ranch, which is kind of behind the Big Thunder Mountain, you still see the balancing rocks, which were part of the mine train. Rainbow Ridge, the town that you would pass through, is now you see it as you board. It's just a few little buildings, like a, maybe a sheriff's... A facade. Yeah, just little facades. And so that's really cool that they yep. kept all that history there. And um, that story got completely erased at the Magic Kingdom version. A little bit, yeah. So which when people were... Uh, upset about in the 90s i remember that okay so when they when they built it just a year later at disney world the story was going to be a bit different instead of an earthquake that the thunderbird would cause I, I there probably wasn't a thunderbird at all i guess i didn't really see that anywhere um but instead of an earthquake it's a flash flood so you'll see several scenes where the the town has been flooded you even see that guy in the bathtub or the guy yeah. in the bathtub. yeah now those scenes weren't added until the 90s okay all right well, but I think the flash flood story was always the same. The whole idea was always a spooked mine train, but I think that just kind of got buried when it was like a flooded mining town. No, but there thing. there was the flood though because when you go through the cave at the beginning, that's why the water's coming down. Exactly, the flood has flood. always been part of the story. They just added the town part. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Later. Yeah, and the town is called Tumbleweed, not Rainbow Ridge. That's a little bit different, but you would never know just riding it. Weren't those audio audio animatronics, weren't they a part of the railroad before they were there? Oh, it's possible. That would make sense. I think they were. Okay. I don't know. Um, But where you queue and you see those those old buildings, those are supposed to represent the old mining offices of the 1800s. So there still very much is a story to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. In fact, last year they were talking about making a TV series on ABC. Yeah, and they recently um, did a... I think it was a five or six part comic book. That's right. I wonder if the story there is based more on the Disneyland or Disney World version. I don't know. I'm not sure. But fun fact at the Magic Kingdom, which you might say this, but the portrait that hangs in the uh, queue, Barnabas T. Bullion, who is supposed to be like the villain, I guess, of the mining company, which they added when they did the upgrades a couple years ago. That portrait is based on the likeness of Tony Baxter. So that's a fun fact to share with people when you're in the queue. Do you remember Tony Baxter's middle name? It starts with a W. Not off the top of my head, but I can Google it. Anyway, someone pointed out someone pointed out that the logo BTM, the M is it purposely looks like an upside down W because T W B are Tony Baxter's initials. So if Wayne, you, look, you hear that from Jim Corcus. No, I did not. I did Wayne, not. His middle name is Wayne. Okay, and now look at the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad logo where the BTM are all kind of overlapping each other. The M really is an upside down W. Anyway, uh, now because of the delay, you know, they had they had planned to do this back when the park opened as part of Thunder Mesa and the Western River Expedition and all that. There was a good thing that came out of the delay, and that is because once Space Mountain opened and they were able to do all of the stuff with computers as part of Space Mountain, they were able to add that same technology to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which they would not have been able to done if they had built it years earlier like they wanted to. So that's kind of a good thing that came out of that long wait. Um, But like we said, Walt Disney World never got Western River Expedition. In fact, they didn't get 
a water-based attraction until 1992, which is what we'll talk about in just a few minutes. Um, but just to finish up, I do want to give a few facts about Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. The first one is kind of sad. But in 2003, over at Disneyland, Paul Pressler was the head of Parks and Resorts. And I don't know if you guys know anything about him, but I've heard a lot of just really terrible things about his reign over the parks. Like he cut corners and let's do as much as we can with paying as little as we can. That so sounds like, like the Eisner years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's when they opened Disney California Adventure. You know, it's like, let's open a whole second second park. But then it was just kind of hated by people those first few years. Uh, it's also that when they tried to put in the rocket rods where the uh, track for the people mover was. And those were just a disaster. They didn't work. Um, so one of his things was also he, he spent as little money as possible on maintenance upkeep. So it hasn't happened a lot, but a handful of times there have been deaths at Disney World or Disneyland that have not been attributed to the guests or their health. It's it's something the parks could have prevented. And this is one of those times a 22-year-old was crushed because something happened with the brakes and like the front car, the engine part, came off the tracks and came back and landed on the first car, Ooh. killing the guy. That sounds messy. Yeah, and and after that, it wasn't long after that where Paul Pressler was no longer the head of Parks and Resorts, and I think things really started to change for the better after that. But, yeah, kind of scary. Mm. Anyway. Talk um, about thunder. Yeah, it's the Native yeah. Americans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mad. Finally claimed Get their out. first victim, yeah. Mm. But, uh... Too soon, guys, too soon. It's true, it's true. <laughs> Poor taste. Um... So you can find some genuine antique mining equipment all around the attraction that they actually went out to auctions throughout the Southwest and purchased. So there's a double stamp ore crusher, whatever that is. It crushes ore, I guess. Um, an <laughs> well, all ore, these technical terms. <laughs> yeah. An old ball mill. So like all these things uh, Imagineers actually bought from old auctions, which is kind of cool. Um, the, oh, Dallas McKinnon. That was that guy's name. The hang on to your hats and glasses guy. Oh, yeah. Dallas yeah. McKinnon. Yep. Um, he also provided the voice for Benjamin Franklin in American Adventure. Same guy. Huh. Yep. Uh, let's see. The DL, the Disneyland version, all the rocks and stuff, was inspired by some area up in Utah. But the Disney World version was inspired by Monument Valley in Arizona. So they are actually inspired by two completely different parts of the United States. Uh, now, in 2012, we talked about um, the upgrades that Space Mountain got. In 2012, Disney World got that interactive queue where you can explode things. And like I said, the track was smoothed out a little bit. And then just last year, Disneyland got a new finale. We know there's that earthquake, but now they've added like um, projections of a fuse, TNT. a lit fuse going up, following you. And then when you get to the top, like it actually explodes and there's actual fire. And it's really intense and pretty cool. Um, have you guys ever watched videos of the Paris version? The, I have not. It's I, I watched have. it just the other day. It's super long, and it's a little bit more intense, and they even go through a tunnel under the water. Whoa. So, like, all of a sudden, they disappear underground. Is that the splashes that happen? That happens, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But after that, it's like an actual tunnel where you're underground, and you can't see a whole lot because you're under the water. It's really neat. And, of course, there's not, not of course, there is one in Tokyo as well. The so. Hong Kong park does not have one but they have some kind of grizzly mountain grizzly mountain something i don't know it's like huh. a, it's almost like a mix between the theme of like the grizzly river rapids at disney at california adventure and big thunder mountain okay and that it's a mining but it's more like a gray granite looking kind of mountain and it has front front going and backward traveling parts and explosions and all kinds of cool looking stuff huh 
Now I will say Splash Mountain and Space Mountain were two I loved instantly, and it took me a little bit of time for Big Thunder Mountain to grow on me, I guess because you see coaster and you think thrill, and it's not exactly your 60 mile per hour wooden coaster. Um, but when you think about the atmosphere they've added and the scenes, uh, there are a lot of things you just don't think about that make it such a wonderful experience. So the more I, I take in those aspects of it, the more I appreciate it for what it is. And you have to know, just sit in the back oh, and yeah. ride it at night. <laughs> like those are two pro tips right there. So uh, I did hear as well um, in the cavern scene in the Magic Kingdom that when they first made it, they actually had a family of rattlesnakes that moved in. I guess they thought it was so authentic that it, <laughs> it looked like a real cave and they had to go in and hire somebody to remove them because clearly you don't want rattlesnakes Mm-mm. on your property. But uh, yeah. Moving now to the final mountain in the Magic Kingdom and the mountain that was built last. We don't want to rehash too much. We talked about this mountain in a, one of our episodes in July, so if you're interested in more, go back and listen to that episode. But that is Splash Mountain. Uh, Splash Mountain originally uh, opened in Disneyland in California on July 17, 1989. And then three years later, on July 17, 1992, it uh, soft-opened at the Magic Kingdom to officially open on October the 2nd of 1992 uh splash mountain based on the disney animated film or live action animated combo film uh, song of the south which is a controversial film for the company as they believe it has racial overtones and they don't really sell it anymore in the united states because of some issues there but the characters live on in splash mountain uh splash mountain came about in the development in the early 80s and it was kind of the perfect combination of several things happening at that time first thing was bear country which is a land at disneyland or was a land now it's critter country uh it's kind of an inconvenient land for its location it dead ends and they, what they found was in the 1980s even though they had the country bears there and they had a restaurant and a shop and a couple other things they found that even on a busy day, only 2% of park guests made their way back to bear country. And so they wanted to bring an attraction there that would spark some interest and get people moving to that part of the park. Uh, another thing that happened was around this time, a lot of flume rides were popping up all over different theme parks throughout the United States. The uh, executive vice president, Dick Nunes, at the time, he was lobbying for a log flume ride or water flume ride. Um, Six Flags Texas just had one, and then um, Knott's Berry Farm right down the road from Disneyland opened one around that time. And a lot of the Imagineers were like, well, clearly that's a reason not to have one. It's because everybody has one, but he really thought that the park would benefit from that. And then also around this time, um, America Sings was closing which was an audio animatronics based attraction in Tomorrowland that celebrated the United States and it kind of had run its course. So they were having all these animatronics now that they could repurpose and recycle for a new attraction. And as the legend goes, Tony Baxter, the great prince of Disney Imagineering that he is, uh, was in traffic one day and he came up with the idea of a log flume ride that incorporated um, the animatronics from America Sings themed to Song of the South. And it just so happened that Mark Davis, who worked as an animator on Song of the South, also designed the 
audio animatronics for America Sings, so that style was still there. So they didn't really have to do a lot of the repurposing and changing the overall aesthetics, which was convenient for, mm-hmm. for the Imagineers. Um, Tony Baxter came back. He uh, spent the week storyboarding the, the scenes. They even made a little model of it. But there were so many projects going on uh, in Imagineering at this time that the, it kind of got shoved to the corner and forgotten about. Fast forward to 1983, 1984. The new Disney CEO, Michael Eisner, is taking his first tour of Disney Imagineering. And of course, all the Imagineers are showing their projects, trying to get him interested in that so that their projects can be green lighted. And he happened to bring his 14 year old son with him to Imagineering that day. And in the process of the day, the 14 the year old son wanders over to the Splash Mountain model and is fascinated by it. And he thinks it looks so cool. And Michael Eisner was like, we're on to something here. Let's, uh, let's uh, go with this. So that kind of got the ball rolling and greenlit uh, that project. The name was uh, going through a lot of things. They thought about things that were as simple and boring as Song of the South, River Flume, River Flume Ride, <laughs> which just sounds totally appealing to zippity Doodah River Run. Um, but I mentioned this in the other show. Michael Eisner had an unhealthy obsession with the movie Splash. <laughs> unhealthy. It really was because he had a splash. He wanted splash uh, a splash themed nightclub at Pleasure Island. He was already talking about a splash sequel, and so he was all about. Well, listen. I don't know why we're going over all the names. We have Splash, which is this movie, and somehow we could tie it in. It's a mountain. You have a splash at the end. It's Splash Mountain. And he even wanted the uh, Imagineers to include a mermaid somewhere in the attraction so that there could be even a further tie to the film. Uh, Thankfully, the Imagineers uh, overruled him on that. Yeah. Daryl Hannah would have ruined that attraction. (laughs) Um, So Splash Mountain was born. It's made entirely out of uh, cement, which a lot of people don't realize. Everything, including the watermelons, they say, are made of cement. And they did that because it's a lot of water, a lot of humidity. And if you did wood or steel, there would be a lot of upkeep throughout the years uh, for that. So everything's made out of... um, Cement. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> Made out of cement. It took uh, several years to go through. I thought you wanted us to finish your sentence. Like, oh, see no. how well you were listening. <laughs> no, I just uh, trying to think too many things. Um, one of one of the funny stories that I was reading uh, through this was the first test ride. They were still trying to work out the the log flumes and the water levels and all that. And Tony Baxter was one of the first that rode on it, and he got soaked. And the boats were too heavy or the flumes were too heavy and it flooded the entire flume. And it was so bad they said Tony Baxter actually had to go home and change and come back to the park to continue working the day. Um, So they actually sent the flumes back and made them 500 uh, pounds lighter and in a different design so that they wouldn't be uh, sunk, if you would, at the bottom of the big splash. Um, The day that one of the days they were doing the testing, Michael Eisner showed up and he wanted to ride. And all the Imagineers were like really nervous because they hadn't worked out all the kinks yet. So, but he just insisted. So they got a big black trash bag and cut a hole in the top, put it over him. Uh, he sat in the front. All the other Imagineers sat in back behind him. They went through it, got to the end. They said Michael Eisner turned around and his first words were, can we do it again? Like he was just so excited about it. So they knew they were onto something there. 
Um, again, it was based on the tales of Uncle Remus, and that's what the story of Song of the South is about. It centers around Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Rabbit. And Br'er Rabbit wants to leave his home for adventure. He wants to leave the Briar Patch. And uh, Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear want to catch him and eat him and torture him for whatever reason because he's kind of a rascal. And so the opening scenes are them trying to catch him. And you see he, they try to use a rope and Br'er Bear gets caught in the rope. And they try uh, something else. I think – I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But maybe that's the only one they show. Which one did you say? The rope? The rope. And, and the, there another – The beehive? Well, that's how they ultimately catch him. Oh, okay. So well, no, he's he's pointing them and saying, "Here's my laughing place," and they're like, "Where's your laughing place?" And he points them down the, the beehive hole. That's true. Down into okay. the laughing place, and area. then they catch him in the, the 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 honey, the honeycomb, which in the film is a tar baby, which was a, 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 a looked like a, a person made out of tar, and he gets stuck in that, which had some racial overtones because apparently tar baby was a uh, something not nice that was said about African Americans back in the day. Uh, but they catch him in the honeycomb and he tricks them. He outwits them by saying, you can torture me. You can do whatever you want to do to me. Just don't throw me in that briar patch. And that, which is all nobody ever here. gets that story. No, they don't, but mm. they fling him back into the briar patch, which is the, the, the biggest drop in the attraction. And then uh, they threw him back home, and we celebrate with zippity doo So that's the essence of the attraction. Nick Stewart, who was one of the original voice actors from Song of the South and the only one still living at the time the attraction was uh, made, was able to come back and record the lines for Br'er Bear, who was who he filmed in the or who he voiced in the original film, which is kind of cool that 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 connection was there 40 years later. It was a very costly uh, endeavor. Over seventy-five million dollars uh, to make this attraction from that start is to finish. Three breakfasts on the Jungle Cruise Safari. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I think uh, at the end of the day, it was certainly worth it. When the dedication took place, actor Jim Varney was there with uh, several children. Is that Ernest? Ernest okay. and uh, Slinky Dog, and he was. This is again the late '80s, so he was very much connected to the Disney Company at this time. Uh, for whatever reason. Him and Roger Rabbit. That's like the Disney company in the 1980s. Uh, is, uh, anyways. So uh, the attraction is duplicated in three Disney parks. Well, the original in Disneyland. Then, of course, we have one in uh, the Magic Kingdom. And there is a Splash Mountain in Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, they're all little different. Different times of length and, and uh, songs and number of drops. But they all pretty much follow the sa- exact same plot. There are some exterior differences as well. Um, the exterior looks different than the Disneyland version. The Disneyland version really is modeled after uh, the colors of that would be found in Georgia, which is kind of where the tales of Uncle Remus originate. The one in the Magic Kingdom, they tried to make it a little more uh, matching the exterior and the um, aesthetics of Frontierland. Because it really is out of place when you think about it. You have this western town, and then you have Splash Mountain, which takes place in the American South. So they did their best to try and well, even the song, even I mean, listening to the soundtrack for both of them are are a little different. The the one in our Magic Kingdom uh, is very country, bluegrass with banjos and fiddles and harmonicas and stuff, very frontierish. And then the one in Disneyland at uh, Critter Country, a bear country, as it was. Israel cartoony. I don't know, you know, little muted trumpets, very 
I don't know. It's not. It doesn't have the country bluegrass feel to it. Hmm. And and the, it has that extra song in it as well in Disneyland. Right. The the operatic one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Frontierland without that and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad? No. It's crazy. It would just be Country Bears. <laughs> yeah, and Tom Sawyer Island, I guess. But. Yeah, I don't remember what we mentioned that was there. <laughs> it's been so many episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember when Magic Kingdom opened? There was no walkway over. There was no way to even go over there. Hmm. Like from Caribbean Plaza over to that side of the park, there just would have been anything. It would have been a dead end. And then you had Pecos Bill Cafe, and the only first thing you see is the Rivers of America. Yeah. But the funny thing to me, still, is even at Disneyland, I feel like that part of the park is so obscure still yeah. even though splash mountain is there and winnie the pooh is there it's still like oh i forgot that was here <laughs> like oh totally and when you get there it's like oh that's it i guess we got to turn around turn and go around back. and go back yeah. yeah so that that was not a well-designed area i think no for general, sure but, for sure well closing uh, thoughts do you guys have a favorite of any of these mountains of all of these mountains well, I've always said my favorite is Splash Mountain simply because sure. I feel like you get the best of everything Disney does in Splash Mountain. Audio animatronics, story, thrill, music. Um, so Splash is probably my favorite out of all three, but I definitely appreciate Big Thunder in space. I mean, yeah, how I, could you not? I really can't pick, especially the more I go, it becomes harder and harder. I think after my first few trips, it would have been hands down Space Mountain. Um, but now, man, I love all three of them, and I cannot imagine Magic Kingdom without any of them. And maybe one day we'll get a fourth one when Western River Expedition and Thunder yep. Mesa Mountain makes its way to the parks. One day. I, I wouldn't mind if they just leveled Tom Sawyer Island and put another mountain there. Hey, I'm all for it. And you got to cross the river to get to it. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that does it for another episode of the Mad Chatters podcast. 50 down, who knows how many more to go only time will tell but thanks so much for listening you can always find us on twitter and facebook you can always send your comments to comments at madchatters.net we will see you next time hey i think we should say as well derek and i are leaving for disneyland this coming monday so make sure and follow us on twitter and disneyland we'll have lots of pictures and fun things there throughout the week who cares i know i'm like we've talked about that so much i care i care our listeners care Hmm. you're just a, a, a stick in bitter. the mud. A, a Listen, I'm not closing this thing until you give your send off. Oh, I'm sorry. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. Bye bye now. <laughs>